The scene opens as Jesus carries his cross towards Golgotha, where he will be crucified. This is episode six, Crucifixion. An interesting moment along the way, Jesus is borne down by the weight of the cross, and a man along the way, Simon of Cyrene, is pressed into service. And we're told by the evangelist, they, that is the Romans, forced him to bear his cross. This idea of bearing the cross of Christ becomes a powerful call in the life of all those who follow Jesus to take up their cross and follow him. The French novelist Francois Mauriac once wrote, Your cross is made to your measure, and you must stretch yourself out on it, whether you want to or not, whether with hatred and revolt or with submission and love. David, at this point, we're about to hear a, a base recit which describes the emotion of embracing that call to take up the cross and follow Christ. Yes, here sung by bass Stephen Morshek. The text is, Yea, gladly is the flesh and blood in us compelled to the cross. It's almost joyful. It's accompanied by two flutes, the viola da gamba. It's light and breezy in contrast to what one might think of as taking up the cross. Ja, freilich in uns das Fleisch und Blut zum Kreuz gezwungen sein, immer es unsere Seele gut. What follows is an aria, actually a duet for bass singer and viola da gamba. The gambist here is Joshua Keller. The text of this aria is, Come, sweet cross, I will say then. My Jesus, give it always to me. Should my pain become too heavy, then help me to carry it myself. We talked with Steve Morshek about the joy of bearing the cross. What a paradox. An instrument of capital punishment, the most shameful, painful sort of death. It was not something that they would do to Roman citizens because it was so heinous. And of course, it was very, very shameful. We know in Scripture it says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. That verse found in Scripture long before crucifixion had been uh, created. And most likely Jesus was hung on the cross naked, not with some sort of clothing on, as often depicted in paintings. It was this piece that introduced me for the first time the incredible musical illustration that Bach would, would engage in. And you hear in the viola da gamba, the actual melodic line, the shape, you hear the cross being dragged. The vocal line is very beautiful, and even though there are leaps of, of a third, but most of the time the line is very beautifully shaped. Underneath it lies this jaggedness. Yum, da-dum, da-dum, da-da-da-da-yum. There again, you have that paradox that I'm always struck with between what it costs to... <laughs> what Jesus had to go through to redeem us. 
think what's striking here in this text is that suffering is connected to sanctification, that the reason why the suffering can be sung about in a way that that can sound joyous at times is that there is an understanding that this suffering serves some purpose in in a sense in the same way that the ancient creeds of the church preserve for us truths that we might in our own context be quick to elide or overlook i feel like an understanding like this puts that connection between suffering and sanctification in a sort of time capsule for us. It's something that we just don't think very often about. The idea that suffering could be connected to sanctification and for our good. We live in an age where we tend to think of suffering as meaningless and as an absurd tragedy with no value whatsoever. And so here, very beautifully, I mean, he preserves for us this deeper understanding. So Jesus is crucified. His garments are divided up, and the crowds gather around him. A sign proclaims that he is the king of the Jews, which is the charge that is leveled against him. The surrounding crowds, as they witness the crucifixion, join together in mocking him. They say, Thou that destroyest the temple of God and buildest it up in three days, save thyself, echoing one of the charges that was made earlier in his trial based on a misunderstanding of the teachings of Jesus. 
this mockery as he is crucified is dramatically set to music in this chorus. So the chorus ends by yelling at him, if you're the son of God, come down now from the cross. So that's the crowd. And now the chief priests and the scribes pick up the mockery. And it's like they're, they're going back and forth to each other. And they say, he saved others. He can't save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross. And then we'll believe in him. He's trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants him. For he has said, I am the Son of God. Desgleichen auch die hohen Priester spotteten sein, samt die Schriftgelehrten und Ältesten und sprachen. As we've witnessed the mockery of the Savior on the cross, in the next recit, the alto reflects on this moment, describing the place Golgotha as hapless Golgotha. The Lord of glory must wretchedly perish here, she sings. The blessing and salvation of the world is placed on the cross like a curse. We already heard Stephen Morshek refer to the biblical idea of the curse that attaches to anyone hung upon a tree, the humiliation of that death. This is something that in the New Testament is seen as a, a paradox of our salvation. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah. <laughs> 
That was mezzo-soprano Clara Osowski, accompanied by two English horns in that recitative. And now we shift to an aria for her voice with chorus. But there's a huge shift, even though the accompaniment is the same, these two English horns. The Golgotha recitative is one of lament. It's very sad. And all of a sudden, we're in not just in a major key, but we're in almost a pastoral setting. And the text refers to forsaken little chicks. The picture here is of Christ inviting us to himself. You think of earlier passage in the gospel where Christ is looking at Jerusalem and saying, how I would have gathered you as, as a mother hen gathers her chicks. You also think of Christ simply with his outstretched arms on the cross as the alto sings, See, Jesus has his hand outstretched to grasp us. Come. And then the chorus answers, where? In Jesus' arms, she answers, to seek redemption, take his mercy, seek it. And the chorus again, where? We asked Tim Campbell, our chorus master, to talk a little bit about the invention of Bach, but also the use of the chorus in this particular aria. He plays with numbers. He uses harmonies, dissonance, tension, and resolution on a word-by-word level. Who struck you so harshly? And you'll have a stinging minor second dissonance that resolves on that word strike. Every chorus is filled with them, line by line. There's meaning. The alto aria, where, again, a dialogue uh, uses a Song of Solomon text with the chorus responding And she says, come to Jesus' arms. He has his arms outstretched for you and refers to them, those listening, as forsaken little chicks. And the chorus during throughout it is going, da-da, bak-bak, sort of a chicken-like rhythm, looking, searching for this. There's a a literal representation and attachment to the text that's that's consistent throughout. And sometimes it's on a word-by-word level, sometimes on a line-by-line or general affect key signature. But the more you look harmonically, melodically, rhythmically, he's a master illustrator of the meaning of the text through the music.
In the next recit, we will see a famous incident of the crucifixion culminating finally in the death of Jesus on the cross. At the sixth hour, as there's darkness over the land, we're told that Jesus cries out. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The crowd overhears these words, but misunderstands them because of the similarity in the sound. They think Jesus is calling out for the prophet Elijah. As some of them fill a sponge with vinegar and place it on a reed, hoping to give him comfort, others continue to mock him. They're saying, let's see whether or not Elijah will come to save him. But it's at this moment that the evangelist sings to us, but Jesus cried again aloud, and died. David, musically speaking, what happens in this moment? And this is an extended recitative, and you'll again hear three different voices. You'll hear the evangelist, sung by Timothy Bench, singing the words of Scripture. You'll also hear the chorus playing the role of the crowd, saying he's calling on Elijah. But then we have our Jesus, sung by Stephen Bryant. And what's really interesting when he sings these words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, there's no accompaniment to him. Every other time that Jesus sings in this passion, he's surrounded by a halo of the string orchestra, except for this moment. So it's analogous to the paintings that we see of Christ with a halo around his head. It's a sonic halo. And here, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God has left, the Spirit has left, and he's left alone on the cross. So therefore, there's no string orchestra, there's no halo. Let me see if I'm understanding. So ordinarily speaking, we have like a musical representation of both the divinity and the humanity of Christ. And in this moment, we experience the alienation that Jesus cries out about, and suddenly we have the humanity and, and not the divinity, the absence of the divinity. Well, let's listen to that. Und von der sechsten Stunde war eine Finsternis über das ganze Sie, 
und bat lief einer unter ihnen, nahm einen Schwan und füllte ihn mit der Sicht und steckte ihn auf ein Rohr und tränkete ihn. Die anderen aber sprachen, David, as we've reached this weighty moment of the death of Christ, there are two musical choices that I think we should say something about. Uh, One of them is Bach's choice, and the other one is actually your choice. So first, there's the question of the keys and the descent of the keys throughout the piece, finally reaching that lowest point at the death of Christ. The second thing is that that chorale that we just heard was a cappella. So could you explain to us first the significance of the descending keys, and then maybe we could talk a little bit about why that chorale was a cappella? Well, why don't I take it actually in reverse order? Because the last thing we heard the tenor sing was, and he died. It's very blank feeling. So what do you follow that with? Was well, This is the last iteration of that famous Corral tune, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Although that's not the text at this point. It's it's the tune that people will recognize. And I made the choice to have it done a cappella. Bach does not indicate that, but it was such a such a solemn moment, such a quiet moment that that it seemed like a logical choice to me to keep this this solemnity of the moment this way. Regarding the keys. A good composer will use a variety of different 
key centers. And the progression of those key centers is very important in the way the drama of an opera, for example, will unfold. Bach goes through many keys throughout the course of the St. Matthew Passion. And what he's done is added flats. It's a descending sort of feeling to the point where when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We're in six flats. It's all about as flat as you can get. It's about the lowest point that we can be. It's one of those ingenious things that most people are not going to be aware, even that the key has changed. But you can intuit it, if you're listening attentively, that adds to the drama of the whole piece. Interestingly, the key choice for this last chorale actually begins an ascent back up from that lowest point after Christ has died. Not to put too fine a point on it, but it just seems very interesting to me. It's just a moment of hope. During the course of the season, we've already shared some of the favorite moments of various participants in this performance. But we asked Timothy Bench, who's been singing the evangelist, what his favorite moment is. And it's actually the one that's about to happen. Well, my favorite role is the moment when the choir sings, this truly was the Son of God. That, to me, is the pinnacle. That's my favorite moment in all of classical music. Um, it's so profound. Um, and the statement is so clear to me that Bach really believes this moment, that this that Jesus truly is the Son of God. As far as the evangelist role, uh, yeah, the Und siehe da, der Vorhang in Tempel zerrissen zwei Stück von oben an bis unten aus. That's my favorite moment when the um, he says the veil in the temple is torn into two pieces from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks split and the graves were opened and there rose up many bodies of holy people who were sleeping and they went from their graves and came into the holy city and appeared to many. It's such a dramatic moment of uh, victory of after you've had this long passion, finally there's this triumphant moment where you get a glimpse a foretelling of the resurrection is how I would put it. So we'll end our episode with this very dramatic moment. The graves are opened. People are resurrected. The centurion witnesses all of these things and ends with the declaration, truly, this was the Son of God. <laughs> Er schlagen sie sehr und sprach.